listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. So this one is called The One After the Fight. It's going to be a good one. So Jesus said, blessed is the peacemaker. I want you to note that Jesus did not say, blessed is the peacekeeper. Because I think peacemaking is different than peacekeeping. Peacemaking requires some form of conflict resolution rather than simply conflict avoidance. Now, this is one of those sermons where I think I'll be preaching to myself as much as I am to anybody. Because by nature, I am a conflict avoider. I just want to please people. I just want you to be happy, you know? Why can't we all just get along? So I grew up in a home where peacekeeping and peacemaking were confused. We didn't do a lot of peacemaking. We didn't do a lot of conflict resolution. We did a lot of conflict avoidance, right? So dad's coming home, so that means we need to have the house clean and, and we need to be quiet because we, we don't know how his, his work day had been and it could, you know, things could get rowdy. And that wasn't a good thing. And so in this passage that uh, Micah read for us today from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul tells us, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. And then he said this, he said, what should you do with your enemies? Well, you should feed them. Well, that's an interesting thing to say, kind of to feed your enemies. But it's something that Paul knew had been a practice at one point in the history of Israel. So this idea of kind of feeding your enemies that Paul's talking about, I think perhaps he got from what we call 2 Kings. So there's this story in 2 Kings. It's at that point in Israel's history where the kingdom had divided into the north and the south. So this is just about the northern kingdom. We don't know much about what's going on in the southern kingdom in the story. But the northern kingdom was being attacked by Aram, A-R-A-M, Aram. It was a place, the Arameans. And the plan was the king of Aram and his generals and their armies knew where Israel was going to be, the Israelite army. So they, their plan was to get there and attack them and kill them. But each time they showed up at the place that their scouts had told them the Israelite army was, they were gone. And so the king doesn't take long for him to realize that there's a spy in his camp. Somebody is tipping off the Israelites. Somehow they're knowing to uh, avoid um, the Aramean army. So he calls in, you can read the story yourself in uh, 2 Kings 6 uh, when you get home uh, this afternoon. But he, he calls his generals into his tent and he's like, all right, boys, um, we've got a problem. Because each time we go to attack the Israelites, once we get to that village or town, they're gone. So somebody here is tipping them off, right? So this is, this is one form of conflict resolution. Uh, somebody's head is gonna roll out of this tent. Right? That's, that's, that's how we're going to resolve this. And they're like, oh, slow down, king. Wait a minute. It's none of us. We're all loyal to you. We're not the one that is tipping off the Israelites. It's that man of God down in Dothan. That's Dothan, Israel, not Dothan, Alabama, just in case some of you got confused. 
that man of God, he says, he's like, all right, all right, all right. So this is what we're going to do. Change of plans. We're marching down to Dothan, our full army, and we're going to take this guy out. And once this, this soothsayer, once this Hebrew prophet is gone, then uh, we'll be able to attack the Israelites and we'll, we will win. We'll take over. So they march his army now down to Dothan. When they get there, the man of God that they're speaking of is the prophet we know as Elisha. And Elisha had a servant. We don't know his name from this story in 2 Kings, but from elsewhere we found out his name is Gehazi. So Gehazi steps outside the house and he looks around and the whole army of, of Aram is there. And he's like, oh, Lord. So he goes back inside and he says to Elisha, boss, it's been great working with you. You're like the best boss I've ever had. And he's like, what's up? And he's like, the Arameans, they're at our door. And uh, the prophet says, Elisha says, there are more for us than there are against us. And Gehazi's like, no, no, there's there are two of us. There's an army out there. So he prays for Gehazi. Elisha prays for Gehazi. And he steps outside and now, kind of with eyes to see, he sees an army of angels. And then the, the prophet prays a second time, but this time he prays for the Aramean army, and they all go blind. So now uh, Elisha and Gehazi lead the Aramean army from Dothan down to Samaria, the capital city, to the, the king of Israel. And now when, once they're there, the Israelite army has now uh, encircled the Arameans. They've got them trapped. And Elisha prays for a third time, and this time the Arameans receive their sight, except now they're surrounded. So the king of Israel looks at Elisha, and he says, Father, which is surprising. I didn't know he's Catholic. <laughs> Sorry. I've had a really long week, and the dad jokes are just <laughs> up close and personal. He said, Father, what shall I do? Shall we kill them? Shall we kill them? It actually says that twice in the text. I guess he's pretty excited about it. Because what are you going to do? Here's an army. They've been trying to kill you, and now they've been delivered to you right there. Your army has them pinned in. Shall we kill them? Shall we kill them? And Elisha's like, kill them? What, did you capture them? Don't kill them. Feed them. They, the Israelites feed the uh, Arameans. And it says, and this is the last line in that story in 2 Kings, the Arameans went home and never attacked Israel again. Isn't that a great story? As Paul says, what should we do with our enemies? We should feed them. You know, Jesus says this too. At, at the beginning of Matthew 5, we quoted it earlier, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. But if we keep, if we keep reading that story, eventually Jesus has a lesson to teach us about how he understands the Old Testament. For him, it wasn't called the Old Testament. It's just called scriptures. <laughs> but how he understood the scriptures. And sometimes, perhaps you have heard it said that the Old Testament law was some high standard that people couldn't live to, so God had to give us kind of an alternative, which was Jesus. But that's, that's false. That's just flatly wrong. Um, 
Jesus was not plan B. <laughs> Jesus was plan A, but, but I don't want to get off on that subject right now. Let's stick to G how Jesus read the Old Testament. He did not read it as some high standard that was impossible to obtain. He, re he read it as a basic standard, but he was actually calling his disciples to something much, much more. So, long list of things here. We'll just go over a few of them. He said, you have heard it said, don't commit murder. Yeah? You know where that's from? Yes? The Ten Commandments. Very good. I, I was a little worried. <laughs> we were, I was going to have to slow down and back up. <laughs> like Vince Lombardi after they lost that, that one Super Bowl. He goes like, this is a football. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do not commit murder comes from the Ten Commandments. You have heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say to you, don't hate. So which is more difficult to do? Not murder someone or not hate? It's much more difficult not to hate. Like, chances are you're going to make it through today and not murder anybody. I mean, chances. But you might not make it out of this church service without hating somebody. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. Also, from what part of Scripture? The Ten Commandments. Very good. But I say to you, don't lust. Once again, which is more harder to do? Not to commit adultery or not to lust? Obviously, Jesus' standard here is quite high. Like, you don't, you don't just accidentally commit adultery. Like, you, you have to make a lot of bad choices kind of again and again and again that kind of get you to that point. Like, it's not like you're on aisle six at Publix and then you commit adultery. Oh, man. I'm just trying to find the peanut butter. It doesn't work that way. But if we're truthful, you could be on aisle six in Publix. And, and lust. At this, at this other point, Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor. That didn't make the Ten Commandments, but it is from Leviticus. Moses said it, love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemy. Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute us, to love our enemies. And there's a corollary here. Like, how do we become peacemakers, not just conflict avoiders, right? How, how do we actually engage in peacemaking? Well, Paul says this too in the passage that Micah read for us. We don't fight evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. And at least part of what I think that has to look like is we have to resolve conflict nonviolently. Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I'm telling you, don't resist by evil means. And he gives us various examples there about what that might look like. But there's this trajectory I think we see in Scripture. And it kind of starts with a form of unlimited violence. And it will end with a form of unlimited love. The unlimited violence uh, is in Genesis 4. It's pretty early. The king's name is, or the person's name is Lamech. So in the ancient Near East, um, the, the justice rules uh, were set to kind of deter people from doing something wrong. And they, they had a, an equation of a seven for one. So if, if Matthew there were to kill one of Javi's sheep, Javi could in return come and kill seven of Matt's sheep in hopes that that threat might keep the violence from happening. 
However, violence as a deterrent doesn't work that well. And we've, we've all seen it with our kids, right? We, we threatened violence, but they didn't actually change the way they behave very well. And the problem with violence is that it always begets more violence. So if, if Matt takes one of Javi's sheep and Javi takes seven of Matt's sheep, well, then Dennis is like, don't do that to Matt. And he comes and takes even more of Javi's sheep. Well, then David's like, no, 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 that's, that's too much. And then it just escalates and it escalates. Lamech was an extreme version of even that reality. Lamech said, you all know that whole one for seven thing. It's the rule. But let me tell you how I roll. For me, it's one for 70. You take one of my sheep, I'm taking 70 of yours. Lamech was really bad to the bone, right? Who's going to mess with Lamech? Unlimited violence. Then comes Moses. And Moses says, it's that bit of scripture that Jesus quoted, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Moses says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is setting a limit to violence. Right? It's setting a cap on it. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth doesn't mean if I take your eye, you have to take mine. Or if, if I knock out Zach's tooth, he has to knock out mine. Right? It's the maximum. It's, all of a sudden, this, this whole lesson turned very violent, didn't it? We're killing sheep. We're taking out teeth. Right? Well, what it means is if Yasmin over here reaches over and punches Lane and it knocks out his tooth, we can't go and kill Yasmin for that. Right? It's okay. The worst we can do, right? The maximum we can do. So that's, that's limiting violence. So we go from Lamech's unlimited violence to Moses' form of limited violence. It's called retributive justice. And for the most part, it's how our laws work today. I'm looking at Alan, you're an attorney, right? Retributive justice. We want the crime to match the punishment. So that was a big step forward for Moses. Not just for Moses, but for culture, right? We've gone from unlimited violence to limited violence. But then if we keep reading Moses, we get to another point where Moses says, love your neighbor. Now we're in Leviticus. When Moses said, love your neighbor, he didn't mean love every human being. He was literally meaning your neighbor, right? So if you're in the tribe of Judah, love the other Judeans. If you're in the tribe of, of Issachar, love the other Issacharians. I might have made that word up. I'm not sure. Not Issachar, but I don't know what folks from Issachar are called. But he's, he's talking about kind of love at the most your fellow Israelite. But Jesus is carrying this further, right? So we'll, we'll call Moses' love your neighbor as a form of limited love. So we've gone from unlimited violence with Lamech to limited violence with Moses, eye for nine, tooth for tooth, to limited love you have heard it said, love your neighbor, to now unlimited love. That's the way of Jesus. You have heard it said, love your neighbor, but I say to you, love your enemy. That is unlimited love. And we can, we can see not only is there that trajectory from unlimited violence to unlimited love, but it's, it's part of the, the culture is, is kind of embedded with these ideas. So, in Matthew, at a later point, 
uh, Peter will raise his hand to ask a question slash make a comment. Peter raises his hand in class and is like, Rabbi, Jesus, uh, how often should I forgive someone? Uh, seven times? And he's, he's almost getting it right at that point. When Peter says, should I forgive seven times? He realizes that that's, it, that sounds excessive, right? That's like, that's like the old ancient Near Eastern rule. If you take one sheep, I'll take seven, right? Except it's the inverse of that. I'm not, I'm not returning violence seven times. I'm giving forgiveness seven times. But what, what does Jesus say to Peter? No, you shouldn't just forgive seven times, but seven times 70. So that Jesus's way of forgiveness is like his way of love. It is the complete inverse, not just of the culture, but the worst parts of the culture. He's the opposite of Lamech. I'm not going to give you, take from you 70. I'm going to forgive you 70 and not just 70, but seven times 70. So this, this is part of what I think conflict resolution has to look like for us. It has to involve nonviolence. We can't ourselves engage in, in those actions because that just creates more evil. And that's doing damage to us. The passage that we read, we started in at the end of Romans um, 12, and that last few verses that Micah read actually reached down into Romans 13 a bit, because Paul at that point is saying, look, this is the way you keep the law. Like the whole law, Paul says, can be kept in this, to love your neighbor. Which again, sounds a lot like Jesus, right? In, that, in the gospel story that we talked about a few weeks ago, right? When we talked about um, the one with the stranger or whatever we titled that week. So there, we're told that the, the law is summed up in loving God and loving neighbor. But Paul just says the whole law is summed up in loving neighbor. It's, a, it's an abbreviated form, right? Of the, of the larger lesson, but it does get the main point across that the only way to love God is to love your neighbor. It's impossible to love God without loving your neighbor. John will say this, how can you say you love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your brothers and sisters whom you have seen? Right? We're not, we're not beauty pageant contestants here praying for world peace. You can't hug the world, but you can hug people. You can treat them well. And I think this, is, this, is a, this takes a level of maturity. Again, it doesn't come natural, I think, to us. Folks like me just try to avoid conflict and wish it would go away. But seeking to resolve the conflict is where I think we can actually become peacemakers. To quote... Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., peace is not the absence of a negative force like conflict or war. Peace is the presence of a positive force like love, like reconciliation. Like you have to, you have to do it. That's why it's called peacemaking. 
It's something that you do. And so that, that level of engagement is what we're after. Now we might ask ourselves, I mean, one of the reasons I think we do this is because it's effective. <laughs> it actually works. The other reason that we do it is because it is the way that God resolves conflict. God comes to us and resolves the ultimate conflict through an act of peace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to quote Paul yet again today, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, The love of Christ constrains us. The love of, God, the love of Christ holds us. It, uh, some translation says it urges us, it moves us, right? We have a hard time translating that word, I guess. But the love of God, the love of Christ is holding us together and it's, it's moving us in a direction. Because we believe this, that because Christ died, all have died. That's big news, folks. Because Christ died, all have died. And now we find out there that God is working in Christ to reconcile the world to himself. So in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. And then it says, no longer holding people's sins against them. No longer holding people's sins against them. I thought that was one of God's main jobs. Like, I thought that's what, like, what does God do? A, hold people's sins against them. Like, that was his role. But no, God's coming to forgive sins. That's, that's God's primary action to sin, is not to hold it, but to forgive it, to resolve it, to, in a way, destroy it, but destroy it not through a form of violent evil, but to overcome it through sacrificial love. God comes in the person of Jesus Christ and dies on a cross. This is like the central message of Christianity. Like you can't get more central than the Christian story than Jesus dying on a cross and being resurrected. And what is God doing in that moment? He's responding to evil. And he is resolving it. He's overcoming it. So now that we have been given a ministry, Paul says, of reconciliation. Saying that now in Christ we are new creatures. We're no longer going to live or behave the way in which we were when we were in the world, which was like Lamech, or at our best, like Moses. But now we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be peacemakers. As far as it depends on us, we're going to live at peace with all people. And when we do have enemies, we're going to feed them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to speak truth to power for certain, but we're going to seek to resolve conflict. Not just avoid it. And again, I would say, this requires a lot of maturity. This is, this is easier said than done. But I think, excuse me, I think it is vital. Like this series is a series on friends, on friendship, right? It's friends, the one where everybody's welcome. But we'll, we're never going to be friends, like on an interpersonal level, 
interpersonal level with each other. But maybe more importantly for me today, we're never going to be a functional church, an expression of the body of Christ, if we don't seek to resolve any conflicts that we might have. Because let me tell you, it's easy. It is really easy in this world that when you have conflict, just to move on. Well, that's over. That friendship is dead. Is dead to me. I'm not going back to that church. Do you hear what that guy said? Right? I'm, I'm never going to engage in that conversation again. It's pearls before swine. Right? We'll always we'll find ways to excuse ourselves of actions and dispositions that we have instead of leaning into this kind of Jesus way of being in the world. Blessed is the peacemaker. Blessed is the mournful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. This is the turn the other cheek, go the second mile, give them your shirt when they sue you for the coat, judge not lest you be judged, kingdom. That's what we're being called into. And that's a good way to live. Trust me on this. <clears throat> it might be hard on the front end, but it pays dividends on the back end. A life where conflict is resolved as opposed to just avoided, or a life in which conflict is resolved nonviolently as opposed to a life in where conflict is violently resolved, right? I might punch you, and then you're no longer going to say that to me again. But then I will always have become the person who punched you. Right? That's who I've become. I've, I've become the oppressor. And this way, this is the way to live the way God treated us through Christ. The way Jesus taught us to live is the ideal way not just to be a friend, not just to be a good church member, a good citizen, but a good human. I really believe it's, it's what we were created to be. It's the ideal way of being who we were made to be. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.